You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to remind everyone that our episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Hello everyone and welcome to this totally rad edition of Locked On Indians. It is 90s week here at the Locked On Network and we are going to talk about things of the 90s for our next three shows. That's right, three shows. I will do a Thursday show this week as well. Um, trying to do some things to get our numbers up and uh, encourage people to listen every day. I know uh, I know I'm not listening to as many podcasts, but uh, I do want to be there for people who are looking for those quick di- digestible bites about baseball. So let's continue with the recent theme and let's talk about the 1990s and the MLB draft for the Cleveland Indians, specifically those first three rounds, the most important ones for a small market team like the Indians. And yes, Cleveland is a small market. I do not, uh, I've had some people, medium market or even, it's a large market because of its, it's its small market compared to other teams. So let's just start off with the first round. Uh, We'll see what we can go through on today's show and we're just going to specifically 90s drafts for the next few days with the draft you know, under three weeks away. Let's let's focus in and talk about some of these picks. The Cleveland Indians in the 90s, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. They should have been a very good team. Uh, 1985, they have the ninth overall pick. 1986, the second overall pick. 1988, the 17th and second. 89, the 11th. 90, the 8th. 91, the 13th. 92, the 2nd. 93 the 11th, 94 the 10th. I mean, they were just always picking there. So it's up and through 94. Uh, so, you know, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94. First five years in the 90s, they have picks that are in the first half of the first round. And then after that, they're all in the 20s or later. So after that, we go 95, uh, 23rd, 96, 28, 97, 28, 98, 20th. That was kind of the down year in terms of relative to everything else, uh, though the draft pick was quite good. Uh, 99, no first-rounder. That must be the, the Taft-Hartley I remember reading about in the Beacon, the year they didn't have a first-rounder, and they took a catcher in the second round. We'll get to there eventually. And, uh, yeah, that ends it for him. So let's just start at the beginning of the 90s. Uh, first-round pick, eighth overall, Tim Cost, uh, Costo. Shortstop at the time out of Iowa. It's kind of funny to think about he would move to third and first base, that there was a point in time where Jim Tomey was the second-rated third baseman from the state of Iowa in the Indians minor league system. That is, I mean, it's 100% a true statement. The Indians take him in 90, and they sour pretty quickly on him. Uh, He gets to play 43 games in the majors. It's not a, a quick time for him. Uh, but, you know, they, he moves quickly through the majors. He gets there in 92 after being drafted in 90. The Indians trade him away in 91. Oh, a year and 10 days after they draft him, they're like, oh. Now, Reggie Jefferson was also a highly rated prospect at the time, so it wasn't quite like they were just giving up on him. But it's an odd trade in a lot of respects to look back on. And one that clearly seems to be like, ooh, we don't think he's that good. Uh, hey, Reds. Now, if you're not familiar with Tim Cost- Costo, that uh, he is third all-time in home runs at Iowa. He was a shortstop there. 
He hit 22 as a sophomore and then 16 as a junior, which means that because uh, he had 41 in total to be third. Uh, you know that I don't, I can't find all the numbers. That's just the way it is with some of these older draft picks. But it's you look at the numbers and you're like, we took a guy eighth overall who had a down year for power. That's that's an odd choice. Uh, went from 22 to 16. That's I mean, you don't normally. That's a in terms of college uh, performance. That's a pretty big drop. It's an odd thing to choose. Now the Iowa baseball program, um, not successful in terms of pro players. Uh, two first rounders uh, in '89. Cal Eldred Eldred was a the 17th overall pick, and then in '90 they had Tim Costo, who was a uh, eighth overall, uh, one second round pick in in the school's history. Wes Obermuller, who went in '99. Uh, they have had two good major leaguers. That's it. Uh, you know, depending on how you look at Eldred, we'll, we'll give him credit. We'll say three. But uh, Mike Boddicker, who was a pitcher for the uh, Orioles, and uh, Jim Sundberg, who was a catcher who was taken by the Rangers. So yeah, uh, not a powerhouse, and not much has changed over the years. Uh, like I said, rather unsuccessful. He, he would play in the majors in 92 and 93, and that was it. Played first, third, left, and right during that time. The Indians also had a pick that year as I'm bouncing through. Um, Sam Hentz, who was a compensation pick for the failure to sign Calvin Murphy in 89, and uh, he never got to the majors. So, so much for that, right? Now let's go to 91. The Indians have the 13th overall pick, and they take a high school third baseman. Manny Ramirez. Okay, so that one's worked out. Can we just? I don't think we need to dwell on Manny in '91. That was a pick that worked. Uh, then we go to '92. Paul Shuey has grown on me. It's an odd pick. Let's be honest. They have the second overall pick in the 1992 draft, and you take a college reliever. Um, you know, I, I, when we were doing the all-time Indians, and you look at the numbers, it's like Paul Shuey was actually a pretty steady, solid reliever. Uh, he wasn't great. He was never a closer, uh, never kind of hit that upper tier, but it's just a solid arm for them. And they took that, uh, you know, the college player second overall. It was a bad draft class. That's the other thing you have to comment with Paul Shuey, but a reliever with the number two pick in the draft. Still odd. 93, they have the 11th overall pick in that class and take Darren Kirkrit, a right-handed pitcher out of California Riversdale. Um, you know, it's one of the many cow schools, but it's odd to see you take a Riversdale kid that high. Um, not very common occurrence. Uh, they've had two first-rounders, uh, James Simmons, who went to the Athletics in 2007, and then Kirkrit, who is the highest pick in school history. The own, They've had a few successful major league players. Uh, Troy Percival is the most noted. Troy per- Percival is the most successful player. Uh, Eric Show was a pitcher in the 80s, and John Lowenstein was a shortstop who the Indians did draft. So the Indians uh, have uh, one of the most successful players uh, ever out of that program. Unfortunately for them, it was not Kirkrit, who was supposed to be kind of that new group of players, uh, pitching prospects, who it just never came together for him in the minors. He didn't miss enough bats to make him successful. I don't know how I feel about 94. Jared Wright. 
I think in the end, you just call that a success, right? You take the 97 postseason run and you're okay with that. I mean, he did appear in 226 major league games. That's that's something. Uh, the 4.4 war is just so low for that. And that's the thing. Like with the Indians, he was largely unsuccessful. And that was, uh, you know, he, he had that great rebound with Atlanta, signed a big money contract, and then quickly fell apart again. He just never had the dedication to the game. And that kept showing up uh, in terms of his lack of sustainability as a major leaguer. But uh, 94 was the last of those high picks. I don't think I've really ever dug into that draft. I didn't think I realized that Jared Wright was a 10th overall pick. And for a team that quickly moved to be college only in the draft, it is odd that like their last high pick was a prep arm. Like, you know, the biggest risk you can possibly do. Uh, he wasn't a big kid, too. He was an undersized prep arm, which is just odd for the time. So, I mean, I, I typically want to save this until we dive into draft classes. But, I mean, the first overall pick that year was Paul Wilson, who was part of that infamous Mets crew who got hurt. Josh Booty, who would eventually go on to be a Browns quarterback, goes fifth overall to the Marlins. Uh, one pick before is C.J. Ninkowski. Your top two picks are Dustin Hermanson and Todd Walker in the top ten. It's an ugly top ten, but here's where it gets interesting. So the Indians take right at ten. Pirates take Mark Ferris. It's okay. He never makes the majors. And then 12, 13, 14 is why I have to talk about this. Neomar Garcia-Para, Paul Canerco, and Jason Veritek. What a run. Uh, Red Sox, Dodgers, and Mariners doing it right from picks 12, 13, and 14. And I think what's interesting is like Canerco uh, never really did much with the Dodgers. Uh, Veritek, of course, is known that he quickly was traded to the the Red Sox. Garcia Parra is the only one who really found that success there. And uh, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to think about because it's I, I'd be curious to go look at the numbers, but it's like he was Garcia Parra was and Veritek were college teammates at Georgia Tech. Like these are um, guys hitting in you know a big conference and performing well who go just a few picks later. And Jay Payton, who would go on to have a successful career in the outfield, was also a first-round pick out of Georgia Tech. Quite a year for them, uh, having three first-rounders. Kent State had two. The previously mentioned Dustin Hermanson and Travis Miller, who would go on to uh, pitch in 200 year, 200 years. That'd be an accomplishment. 200 games in the bigs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like three years later, the Indians would have taken Garcia Parra. And how different is... I mean, does that make them better? Does it make them more? I don't know. It's kind of one of those, we missed what if week there, okay? I'm just going to state that now. What's not a what if, but an I can tell you is uh, Built Bar is fantastic. They are a sponsor, and I appreciate them for that. But I am also a person who uh, uses a product, I believe. in the product, I enjoy this product. I don't know if it's so much a belief as much as I think it tastes good and it fills me up. Uh, I've tried a lot of protein bars over the years. And specifically for someone who's gluten-free, I find this to be far and away the best protein bar I have ever had. Remember, we have our current deal. We're going to go over to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. Use that promo code locked on. You get $10 off your first order. They have some deals going on. For, they have some deals going on for Memorial Day that you can use with that promo code locked on at BuiltBar.com. So go over to Built Bar, check it out. I'm going to do it myself. Uh, I'm very curious to try their their newest flavors that I read on the last podcast. They also had a deal going on. I don't know if it still is where you could try like 
their peach cobbler in like a, a cheap $10 box. It's probably, or it was a while supplies lasted, but uh, go check it out. There's some fun new flavors. There's some really interesting things going on over at Built Bar. Our other fantastic sponsor is the audiobook edition of 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie May shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience, meeting challenges, positivity, integrity, and triumph. The special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and co-author John Shea. Whether you miss saying your favorite players or just seeing baseball in general or are looking for a great Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. By the audiobook edition wherever audiobooks are sold now i know he made the catch against the indians so maybe that makes him not the favorite person in cleveland but uh undeniably one of the great players in history who had ties that reached through the 90s into the game uh you know his connection with barry bonds and the like but just in general this is someone who well his career might have been over he definitely still had major connections to the game in the 90s and let's go back to talking about the 90s drafts uh the Jared Wright one, that's just going to stick with me. Imagine, because if, if they draft Nomar, we'll save that for another one. It's like, you know, he moves to second base. Does he move? Yeah, he probably moves to second base for the Indians. It, it just leads to some interesting down the lines. But, uh, I mean, Jared Wright is still a success. You cannot say that um, for almost any pick. Let's put it this way. In terms of the Indians, from 94 until 2008, you have one success. So I'm not counting 2008. You have one success uh, in terms of the Indians. Jeremy Guthrie, I'm not counting because he didn't have any of his good years or really do anything with the Indians. So why did the 90s Indians fall apart? There's your answer. And we're not quite going to get, you all know it's CeCe Sabathia. We're not quite at him yet. But this is where the Indians died. After this 94 draft class, uh, when the Indians were good on the field, they were drafting horribly. They were adding almost no value to their minors in terms of the draft. And if they did squeak out a good player here or there, they got traded away in deals that didn't really benefit the team. Uh, they were kind of, it, it felt like a, a frantic trying to keep the core together, uh, keep contending while knowing that they're not going to be able to afford some of the talent. And it's an odd thing to look back on because we talked about, you know, those great 90s teams. It's like, well, we didn't have a 94 season to completion. 95 was fantastic. 97 was an underdog. That's why that's the only that's why the 98 pick is lower than most of their picks. But it's just their inability to draft. And it's like I said, they took Jared Wright at 10 overall. And that's the year they went with the um, they went with the, the prep high ceiling player instead of taking one of the proven college talents. And after this, they would just it was all college talents and it didn't work uh 95 david miller first baseman out of clemson he was supposed to be able to hit he couldn't 23rd overall i mean it's a relatively uh high you know it's 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 not the back back of the first round it's, it's a pick to get some value uh nothing next year 96 uh they are picking 28th overall and you get danny people's first baseman out of texas now he's one of those guys i will miller was just never really good like, he was one of those guys. It was interesting because I remember hearing a lot about Miller as a kid. He was this first-round pick, and I heard more about him than I heard about Peoples, even though Peoples was drafted just a year later. Miller, his OPSs through his minors were barely over 700, and he didn't have any power, and he was a first baseman. So I understand why 
I don't understand why he was higher rated a lot of times than Peoples, who you go through Peoples, go through Peoples, 34 home runs in Kinston, 21 in Akron, uh, 21 in Buffalo in 2000. And then 2001, he is his last year. He just has this 2001, 2006, he's playing with the Indians, never has an OPS lower than 743, and just never gets a shot. Like, they weren't great numbers, but they were certainly better than some other guys that were in the minors. Uh, as I recall, he was a, nope, he was not big. He was six foot one, so that was completely wrong recollection. But a first-round pick, an odd, just really odd for me from the, the whole thing that this is a kid who was a first-round pick, who was playing well, who they never really gave a chance, and he never played in the majors. We can keep going, though. This is what's fun about this. Uh, 97, they go back to the prep ranks with Tim Drew, and then they have a supplemental first-round pick that year. And is it really a supplemental first-round pick if it's 41st overall? And that's the year they take Tim Drew, uh, the brother of J.D. Drew, who would eventually appear in 35 games in the majors. Not much to show for his time. Fitzgerald never even makes it to the majors. He was from Tulane. uh, And, again, just not really productive when given opportunities in the minors. So that's not a surprise. It didn't work out for him uh that year and that was 97 98 cc sabathia so this is the 20th overall pick and it, it's again it's kind of the interesting thing for me that they went prep and probably should have gone college then they went college when they should have probably gone prep then they go prep again like it, it starts to become clear they don't have a defined approach and then this starts a stretch where they are uh, till 2002, they only draft high school kids in the first round, and almost none of them make it to the majors. You have to laugh so you don't cry, right? Like, that's kind of where you are, like, when you look through this, and you can, again, just be like, okay, so this this is why this is why we failed. This is why the Indians had to rebuild in the early 2000s. So CeCe Sabathia is a first-round pick, uh, 20th overall, again, because the 97 season, they uh was the underdog story and we've talked about like the indians this year are drafting after the nationals even though the nationals won the world series because draft order is based entirely off of end of the year record and it doesn't matter about the playoffs at all and so the 98 draft where the indians are picking 20th overall is a a pretty strong draft uh in terms of like mark Pryor doesn't sign but he was a the final first round pick that year by the yankees uh, Aaron Rowand and Brad Wilkerson would go in those uh, compensation pick area range. I'm trying to see. Uh, the Indians had... Why can I not... Find, oh, because this is a Sabathia year. They didn't have a comp pick that year. Um, Sabathia at 20. There's really nothing around him. Matt Thornton was the next best guy on the list in terms of players around him. Uh, the top of the draft, Pat Burrell, who... Had a good career, but I think like the hype on him was so much, he was probably a bit of a disappointment. Mark Mulder, number two. And it's odd to see he only had a 20-career war, but you realize that it was not the longest career that uh, things came undone. Corey Patterson to the Cubs. Uh, J.D. Drew sliding to fifth to the Cardinals. That was his redraft year. Carlos Pena, the first baseman, went to the Rangers at 10. Former, uh, future Indian Austin Kearns to the Reds at 7. Jeff Weaver, who, again, was one of those pitchers where he just kind of came undone, was talked about as the top player in this class, but there were concerns about money, and this I remember this very distinctly. And he slid all the way down to uh, the 15th pick where the Angels took him. 
Uh, the Indians had the best pick in the first round. If you add the war of the next two best players, that's then, yeah, you get uh, someone who passes CC Sabathia if you add together Drew, JD Drew, and Carlos Pena. But uh, it's not by much. Let's put it that way. So the Indians absolutely, positively strike gold with this pick. And it is their only successful first-round pick uh, for a very long time. Uh, then one could argue Chisholm relative to everything else, worked out. Drew Pomeranz is a first-round pick. Maybe not where he was chosen has worked out. Lindor very much worked out. And then since then, they're yet to find anyone who's been successful out of the first round um, and turned into a regular. So the first round has just kind of been a burden for this team over the last 20 years. Sabathia is utterly fantastic. That is great for them. The final class of the 2000s, they are picking 26th and 37th overall. And with those picks, they select Corey Smith and Derek Thompson. Thompson would eventually make it to the majors uh, for a very little bit with the Dodgers after being taken out of Land Lakes High School in Florida, who I, I believe that is where the old spring training complex was, uh, the left-handed pitcher there. Now what stands out, uh, Thompson would get four games, get the traditional uh, cup of coffee. He would, let's see, his transaction to the Dodgers, uh... Indians lost him in a Rule 5 pick, and then he was sold to the Dodgers, and then that was it for his chances in the majors. Corey Smith feels appropriate to end with because it's the perfect bookend in a lot of ways. So we talked about we had Tim Costo, who was the shortstop turned third base first baseman who had been this high pick, who within a year the Indians realized this isn't going to work, and they shipped him in a prospect-for-prospect trade to uh, the Reds for Reggie Jefferson. Corey Smith was a first base, first baseman slash third baseman uh, who would be eventually shipped off to the Padres for Jake Gatro in a prospect for prospect trade. So the Indians managed to uh, to do that again. Smith was drafted on his power potential. In the early years in the minors, you saw that. Uh, started out in the rookie league. His first year in the Sally League, he had uh, 18 home runs. The problem was he had 149 strikeouts and only 37 walks. Very low on base. Uh, the walks just never really... I mean, they started to get a little bit better. There were some signs of life. But in terms of his time with Cleveland, the power was there, but that was about it. There was not the ability to get on base. There was not the ability to uh, make consistent contact. And there was just not enough. He would play independent baseball until the age of 32. I mean, he bounced around uh, all sorts of leagues. He would go to the independent. He played in the minors for Cleveland, San Diego, Chicago, the Angels, the Royals, the Dodgers. And what's kind of interesting about that is like a lot of guys play in the minors in their 30s because they got a cup of coffee in the majors. And once you go and you play in the majors, like Mike Hessman, I saw playing for years in AAA because Mike Hessman uh, made it to the majors. So his pay scale in the minors was entirely different. For the rest of his life, his pay scale was different. Corey Smith never made it to the majors. That means this entire time, this 12-year career of his, he's never really getting paid. He is making no money. And we're talking below minimum wage. I found his signing bonus. It was like $1.3 million, which, you know, of course, you're getting a big lump sum. So his taxes were huge that year. So I just hope that, uh, you know, with minor leaguers making less than minimum wage, that he invested and held on to that money. So he's now a hitting coach. But uh, it is interesting just looking at it because the Indians were kind of successful in the late 80s with their picks and then just kind of died in the middle there. It's like after Manny Ramirez, the draft became a bit of a dead zone for them outside of CC Sabathia and like the one good month Jared Wright had. And 
it, that's why the uh, the Indians in general kind of they're without having that base there, it all kind of collapsed in on itself, and they didn't have the talent to sustain themselves going forward. I hope you've enjoyed this 90s look back at the Indians' first round. The final count is 13 first-round picks, seven of which made the majors, not bad, but only four who went on to become regulars, appearing in over 100 games. And really, of those four, uh, only three who became guys who were counted on uh, day in and day out. Two of those went on to be Hall of Fame-type level talents. I think Sabathia will get in there, especially thanks to his days in New York. And uh, Ramirez... The numbers are there. I mean, there's always going to be the 90s stigma and everything he did himself, which didn't help. But uh, as always, I want to thank you for listening, reading, reviewing, telling a friend, all of that good stuff. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Hit me up with ideas for the show. Things you like, things you don't like. Uh, Let me know how I can improve the overall show. You have been fantastic as always. I have been Jeff Ellis. And go Tribe.